This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We all have bad habits. Maybe you bite your nails, maybe you procrastinate, or maybe you're always late. Whatever it is, bad habits can be frustrating, but it turns out they might actually be protecting you. Bad habits may be annoying, but they might also be your brain's way of trying to protect you. However, there comes a time when they are no longer serving you. That is when it is good to deprogram them. There are many ways to deprogram habits that were once serving you, but you decide it's time to let them go. And this is what this conversation is about. Valeria interviews Saman Nasir, a healer, meditation coach, certified hypnotherapist, a member of the American Hypnosis Association, instructor at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute, and speaker. Saman, or Sammy, as she is fondly known, is a hypnotherapist certified by the Hypnotherapist Local 472 Union, which is affiliated with the AFL-CIOI. She creates a safe, relaxing environment for her clients and helps them to tap into their inner resources to make positive changes in their lives. Saman is also a certified life coach and instructor at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Tarzana. Saman's work as a hypnotherapist and hypnotherapy instructor has helped many people to reach their full potential and live the way they want. She helps confront self-limiting beliefs and negative patterns of thinking and behavior so that her clients can move forward in their lives with confidence and success. Sammy can help you understand your problematic behaviors so you can develop the awareness and skills to change them. She will work with you to create a personalized hypnotherapy program that is tailored to your specific needs and goals. Through the use of hypnosis, mindfulness, and cognitive behavior therapy, Saman can help you too. Increase self-esteem and confidence, release fears and phobias, gain control over bad habits, eliminate negative thinking, reduce stress and anxiety, sleep better, manage chronic pain, improve memory and concentration, increase motivation and productivity, and much more. If you are interested in learning more about how hypnotherapy can help you, please contact Saman for a free consultation. She will be happy to answer any questions you may have. Meet Sammy at don'twaittolive.com. Here's the interview with Saman Nasir. In your own words, who is Saman Nasir, Sammy? I would like to think that I am this raw energy that has collapsed into this reality and taken the form of someone that likes to heal and to help understand the complexities of life. That sounds very spiritual to me. As you know, I love spiritual topics, anything that it's connected to it somehow. So how did you come to this understanding of yourself, Sammy, from this broader, big picture? Well, um, first of all, energy um, cannot be created or destroyed. So combining sort of physics and spirituality, that tells me that everything is recycled, including our knowledge, our concept of who we are and consciousness and energy and DNA. So if that's true, then I've been here before in a form other than what I'm taking now. So that leads me to believe that I'm just raw energy that can be molded into, you know, whatever version of reality 
we live in, in the plane that we live in. Yes, that's something that resonates true to me. And one question that I often ask to myself and others, and I do read a lot about it, I follow the principles of Advaita Vedanta, and that's for some reason, it, it sounds true. <laughs> so the question that I ask is, how did this happen? Like coming here over and over again, I have the experience of almost like getting very close to know that that's true as well from experience. When I was seven years old, I remember, I probably said that to you before, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, oh, you're here again in a new body. Mm-hmm. Seven years old, I didn't know anything about it, pretty much anything about spirituality or incarnation. Of course, none of that was imprinted. I wonder why we keep coming back. Do you have an idea? Do you believe in the concepts of karma? Mm-hmm. Yes, I was actually going to mention that. I feel like um, the way I look at karma is some sort of unfinished business, right? There's more to do. And I believe that ultimately we're looking to form this idea of togetherness and sort of end the separation that's created. And I feel like that's why we're reborn over and over again to achieve that purpose. And that's um, really the core objective or goal, if there is one, of most spiritual teachings and teachers to get us to understand that who we really are so we can burn all karma. And that's the thing. And then merge back with that source energy. It might be an interesting idea too, intellectually, because a lot of us have said, have heard some people say, so then what if I don't come back here? I don't like the idea of becoming source energy because then I'm nothing. (laughs) There's nothing there. So I don't like the idea. I want to keep coming back here. So that's interesting how we actually reject even the idea of going back home. It's almost as if we have lost the way and now we are kind of mired in suffering here in pain and we are used to it and we actually like it. I think I said that off record even about getting used to pain. How fascinating, mm-hmm. right, Sammy? Yes, and I also believe that a lot of times when we say something like that, that we don't want to come back. Uh, I'm sorry, we do not want to merge with source energy. That's because we've also forgotten what it feels like. And this is all we know. Mm. Safety in staying in this form um, or to imagine a form like this, you know, over and over again versus merging with source energy feels like nothing. It feels like ego death. So, and you know, our biology does not want any kind of death. So, I believe that's one of the reasons, because what do we have to compare that to? Most people haven't felt really or taken the time to feel what source energy might even feel like. Today, we'll be talking about habits, um, bad habits in particular. You sent me a very interesting piece that you have written. So I'll be asking you some open questions, Sammy. And the first one's about the creation of habits. How are they formed? Uh, So our mind is something that doesn't like to stay very idle. And I think this goes back to what we were talking about before, that uh, nothingness feels like an ego death. So the mind creates habits in a lot of ways for survival, but then also just to stay busy so it doesn't have to feel nothingness. So bad habits are a lot of times formed because we have too much time on our hands and you know, something has to emerge, something needs to be created in those moments, especially when we're children and our energy is everywhere and there's all these possibilities. The mind wants to do something, you know, with our time. And a lot of times, unfortunately, children don't have healthy channels to express their creativity and their form. So they end up with, you know, habits like, uh, you know, for instance, nail biting, or, you know, even in cases of trauma, cutting themselves because it's still something to do. It is better than nothingness to to these children. And if, especially if there's abandonment or the parents are not very attentive, then they'll form habits just to not to have to feel the sheer boredom of nothingness. That is amazing how the being busy, I think the meaning of karma is action, isn't it, Sammy? If I'm correct, I think it means actually doing. So even the fact that we are always doing something, looking to do something, that says a lot. 
that we are really in the midst of that karmic kind of energetic flow. Yes, and unable to stand still for a moment and to be able to see that there might be something outside of doing and just being but that feels too scary to a lot of people because also we've been programmed to believe that if you're doing nothing, if you're doing absolutely nothing, then you're somehow flawed or unproductive, right? Or not meeting a certain standard. What is the balance? What does it feel like? Or how could we describe even what is like to be still, to be grounded in that stillness that we are, that nothingness per se, which is really not nothing, it's no thing. What does it feel like to be there and at the same time be active with the body and mind? Have you experienced that kind of um, dance, as I like to say? Yes. Um, a lot of times the closest um, that most people come to is being in a flow state where they become a part of their surroundings or they become a part of what they're doing. So if um, somebody's a writer and, and they write... Instead of looking at it as an action of writing, it's more that they have become the writing because it's expressed through them. So they've almost merged with the process. And that's why flow state feels so good, because it's almost like the silencing of the ego in order to become and merge with something else. And the way I always think of primitive man is, yes, they were very focused on their biology, but a lot of times they were just one with nature. They would just be laying there and hearing the crickets and the frogs and mm -hmm. yeah. you know, the animals <laughs> just staring at the night sky. It's almost like they were becoming that. Whatever their attention was going to, they were becoming that. But now it seems like there's not enough time to really become something else because there's just too much rush, 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 too much to do. So I personally understand the importance of that so much so that I will take the time out to do that. No matter what's going on in my life, I prioritize that time for, for nothingness, which is ironically everything. I love the way you said that too, the just becoming, merging to what is here, what's present. So there's no separation between who we are and what we are doing. It's one. That it's really a challenge to understand intellectually, isn't it? to grasp that idea. I believe if we allow it to be, it does come to us. That example of you as that seven-year-old that said that, that was just because you were present with the moment and you allowed for whatever, you know, ancient wisdom or collective consciousness there might have been there to just come and speak to you in that way. That could not have come from the mind of a 17-year-old. That came from your uh, deeper sort of understanding what what was in your DNA. It's almost like you were hearing the echoes of, of what you truly are without form. I believe it came from that and then got filtered through the mind to express it in that way to you. But not having any prior knowledge of that kind of spirituality in the mind of a 17-year-old or a seven-year-old, I'm sorry, to come up with something like that, it, it's not the workings of the mind. And that's something that you do, the work you do, right, Sammy, as a hypnotherapist, Yes. You guide others to go back to that essence state of being. I would love for you to talk to me. For those who don't know, I'm sure so many of us already have heard about hypnotherapy and the power of it. But talk to me for a moment a bit more about what you do and what are the benefits of hypnotherapy? Well, hypnotherapy is very beneficial because for a lot of us, that's the only time that we're really tapping into our inner selves, our core selves to ask you know, important questions and to get important guidance from our inner wisdom. So as you said, to guide people back to that sort of place of nothingness and everythingness, the way we go about it, a lot of times people are like, well, I'm not interested in spirituality. I just want to change this one habit that bugs me a lot. The way I frame that to myself is if I help this person overcome addiction or love addiction or understand relationships, that's going to bring more quietness because a lot of the noise is about this one thing they want to change, is about this one habit they want to change. And if I can help them do that, then there will be moments, perhaps even micro more moments of quietness. So that leads them back to a little bit further towards that source, maybe not all the way, but as they work through more and more things and experience the peace and wonder and joy, 
that will become, you know, they will become closer and closer to their source. That is such a fascinating healing modality that I, I have never engaged with yet, but you have been an inspiration in my life. Um, every time I think about doing any kind of therapy, I think of you first. If I were to do any kind of try, any kind of healing mod modality, I do Reiki these days, but mm -hmm. I would definitely try that with you. Wow, it's kind of unpacking a lot of those unconscious belief systems we have that gets in the way, which habits are formed from there, right, Sammy? Belief systems. Yes, yes. and protection from something, right? If, if there is resistance to change, it is because something is being protected in there. Just because our conscious mind might not understand it doesn't mean that it's not there. Let me ask you a question about habits, the opening questions. What is the difference between habitual behaviors and trauma-informed behaviors? Mm -hmm. um, habitual behaviors might just be a result of just something that you did a lot or you watched somebody do a lot, so you sort of picked up on it. Much like you'll see the children of, for example, tennis players become really good at tennis because that's what they knew That's what they saw all the time. Um, Trauma-informed behavior can also become habitual. So the habitual habits do form, you know, uh, also are under the category of, of trauma response. But it's different. Trauma habits don't come because we watch somebody do something or we were inspired by something or just because it was routine. That comes from a much deeper place of wanting to survive because what trauma is, is a response to something that felt bigger than our capacity to handle it. And that's why a lot of trauma does go back to childhood because that's when we were the most helpless. So trauma-informed behavior is something that your mind and body and physiology is telling you, you need to do this because it helped you survive. So if somebody was trying to, to hit us, for example, and we crouched and you know sort of went internal and just froze, then in the future, the brain will be programmed out of that trauma response to say, anytime anything feels threatening, even if it's a bill in the mail that you can't pay, go ahead and crouch and freeze because that helped you survive last time. Because it's primitive and it likes to, to do things in big, broad patterns, it doesn't understand the complexities of, oh, this is a different situation. This is not the same kind of threat. Trauma doesn't do that. Trauma doesn't allow for intervention because, again, it was too dangerous to think at the moment. It was just time to react. So it keeps doing that. That's why it's so dangerous to have trauma responses because they are not pertinent to what's happening today. They're literally the past replaying itself, the past responses. And also habits, you talked about just habitual behavior. Normal habitual behavior can also be changed. If we see a huge benefit in doing things differently, we're like, okay, I just need to discipline myself in 30 days. I can change that or 21 days. I can change that by doing it differently. But trauma-informed habitual behaviors would be a lot harder to change because they're linked to survival. So no matter how much we try to overcome it, we'll only be able to do it for a short amount of time. It would take an immense amount of willpower And we will find ourselves back to where we were. Wow. That's the biggest difference between the two. It seems like there's a huge difference. Yeah, it's not the same at all. Wow. So trauma, it changed the brain, right, Sammy? Trauma has this power too. Yes. And looking at, in fact, even the structure of the brain, neuroscientists find that there is actual structural um, changes that happen with a brain that's been through trauma, especially complex uh, trauma from childhood, they will see that there's part of parts of the brain that don't even light up in certain circumstances, whereas they would light up in a non-traumatized brain. That's how big that change is that happens from trauma. I have heard one of the hardest, most challenging habits to overcome is addiction. Is that something that you agree? That's what I have heard before. Yes. Most of the time, from your experience, are addictions connected to trauma, past traumas? Yes, most of the time, yes. But I hesitate to say that it always does just because of other people's um, definition of trauma, or more like the socially accepted definition of trauma, which is, oh, something really bad had to have happened to you. But 
the way that I define trauma, I would say all addiction comes from my definition of trauma, which is it doesn't have to be big by anybody else's standards or society's standards. It's just what felt big to you at the time that it did. So if you were, let's say, 10 months old and your mom ran off to the neighbors to get some sugar and milk and got caught up and was like 10 minutes you know, late coming back. And if at that time you felt like you were abandoned, then that is trauma to you, right? Versus another kid, he might not be affected. He might just stay playing. So people will look at that and say, well, that's not traumatic because other kids in that situation could have been okay. So therefore it's not traumatic. So they wouldn't try to attribute addiction to that trauma. But as far as I'm concerned and the way that more of the trauma-informed psychologists and clinical psychologists and hypnotherapists look at it, Yes, all addiction comes from our definition of trauma. Yeah, speaking of addiction, I did some reading about interesting facts about habits. And one of them was uh, habits are a spiritual thing. So that Mm -hmm. caught my attention immediately, of course, because I love spiritual topics. And they mentioned the AA and they said, what fuels the success of AA is belief. While no particular religion helped AA individuals reach sobriety faster, having any sort of faith at all made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear from you on that. What is your thoughts about habits being spiritual thing? Yes, I believe spirituality can help create habits. um, But I also think that sometimes lack of spirituality can also create negative habits. So the reason why spirituality does help a lot and probably, you know, one of the biggest ways to create change is because we all want to believe in something bigger than ourselves. Um, But again, instead of understanding that it's the source and then it's already in us that we're trying to connect with, a lot of times we will find um, other outside factors to kind of attribute all that greatness to that we're afraid to see in ourselves. So a lot of times people will say, well, you know, I believe in the power of this tree or I believe in the power of this rock or I believe in the power of this particular person, right? Like in cults, we see that a lot. We all want to revere something, but because um, we were shamed at such an early age towards, you know, creating be- better habits and societal habits. We're afraid to attribute that greatness to ourselves as being part of the source. So we'd like to attribute it to an outside force. And but at the same time, it's better than right. Not believing at all. So that's why it really helps, because it comes from that part of ourselves that needs to believe that there has to be more to this, because otherwise things feel too meaningless. So spirituality can really help to create that um, sort of like bigger meaning, deeper meaning, uh, a deeper purpose. And for that purpose, we're willing to do anything. That's why cults are so successful is because they lead someone to believe that, hey, what you're doing is much bigger than you. And it's much bigger than what's going on in this point in time in your life. So it has to do a lot of times with that trust that we have lost in ourselves. Right, Sammy? And then it's easier to believe that God or something else has the power. Yes, that sort of dualism in in religion more than we see in spirituality. But in religion, we see that, no, here's me, and then there's a separation, and here's all the greatness, which is God. Instead of really being able to, again, merge and say, it's everywhere. And if it's everywhere, then I'm a part of it, too. So I am part of this source. But that gets lost in that translation. What comes to me is that God is here. If God is here, or life is here, everything that's happening, it's already in me, or the source, or whatever we call it, um, the divine. Then we wonder why we go through all these challenges we go through in life. Even though sometimes we know that, we already have that understanding of this deep knowledge, spiritual knowledge that we are the divine. Then we wonder why we're still faced with challenges. Is that something because it's, uh, let's say, karma burning out, running its own course? (laughs) Yeah, that's a, a big part of it. And then also there's this idea of perfectionism that 
we put on spirituality as well. Like there is this one place and if I believe hard enough and if I know enough about the source and if I can get there, then all pain will disappear and all challenges will disappear and I'll just feel bliss all the time. But remember that merging with everything, merging with the source is also merging with the pain and being open to pain as well. So I think it's that misconstrued idea that people have. And the same thing happens with religion. The problem with putting all of this perfection on an outside God also leads people to, when they're going through dark times, to say, why has God abandoned me? What, what is God punishing me for? So this dualism leads to that problem where you're, you, people start to question their faith because they're like, God is supposed to be all perfect and all knowing. What we don't understand is that part of accepting something is to accept its darkness and to accept its goodness, right? The light and the dark. As, as you said, I think in the first interview we ever had is you talked about the light and the dark. All of that you know, if we're going to believe in God, then all of that is God. That will prompt us not to ask during dark times, where is God now? Yeah. Why isn't he listening to me? The other interesting facts about habits that I found, they said habits are the ultimate energy saver. And that's for a reason, right, Sammy? I know you can explain that really well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is 100% true. Um, habits are really there to uh, give us that shortcut so we don't have to think so hard in every situation. So if you get up in the morning and the first thing you do without thinking is, you know, head into the shower and then, um, you know, brush your teeth and, you know, put on your clothes and put on your shoes. Imagine if you had to consciously think about that every single time. Now I need to head into the bathroom and then you get up. Yes. And now I have to open the shower. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> right? Can you imagine? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And driving and tying your shoes. Can you imagine how much work that would be to have to think about it? So it's, it's a time saver. Like you said, it's also an energy saver, right? So in that sense, we want good habits so we don't have to always question ourselves and say, oh, I should be working on my business, but I'm not, you know, and it's because it's not a habit yet to do it at a certain time every single day, right? And habits can be very hard to create, right, if we don't already have it, but they can be very easy to damage because of our, our need for comfort. So we can lose a really good habit really fast in like three or four days, but it's very difficult to, to build, because again, we're very wired for comfort. That was funny when you talk about having to think about everything, like remembering <laughs> how to tie the shoes, how to open the door, how to, uh, that would be, oh, wow, what a nightmare. So <laughs> this is one side of habits that's really, really good. And I also read that over 40% of what we do is habitual. So I thought it was a bit more than that, actually. Um, I would say so, but I think um, because new demands come up all the time and we're having to adapt. Um, so in our work setting, for example, we may just have a routine where we go in, check emails, and then, you know, we work on a project and then it's lunchtime and we take lunch. But then, you know, your boss might come up and be like, okay, everybody, it's like code red. I need everyone to just <laughs> stop what they're doing and we need to work on the Zimmerman account today. Um, you know, because of these new demands that come up, right? The One day there was no pandemic and then, you know, the month after there was suddenly a pandemic. So our habits are constantly getting deconstructed because of new demands. So I would say that's probably why that figure is at 40% um, is because having to adapt to all these new situations. What are some of the healthiest habits that you can think of? Well, I definitely think that uh, deprogramming ourselves from pleasurable responses that we do compulsively is probably one of the most important habits, in my opinion. Um, when we take time to step away from pleasure and do some of the harder things that build character and kind of push us towards, you know, a better version of ourselves, that's one of the, the highest. And then, of course, spirituality, which is what we've been talking about today, is another very important habit where we stop what we're doing and we just take time to sort of meditate and connect with the divine, connect with, you know, our source. And then, um, you know, physical exercise is really important that I would say is the physical version of spirituality, because again, it's taking us to what's harder, but it's also taking us towards what's good. And pain 
actually uh, is another way of connecting with the body. Believe it or not, pain is good in that sense, um, as long as it's not harming us. So when we, you know, move towards a new habit, like doing, you know, more push-ups or more crunches, for example, or running, then we're actually connecting with the body more because pain will get our attention. Even if we neglect the body in every other way, the one time we'll, we, we will be in our bodies will be with a tough physical exercise. So that's, Mm-hmm. That good sleep and good um, eating habits, those are really important, in my opinion. What you just said about pain, it really gets the attention, right? Our attention when yes. the body's in pain. Isn't it funny? We just drop into the moment, <laughs> the present moment <laughs> immediately. Yes. If there's one thing that's stronger than the need for pleasure, it's the need to get away from pain. So being confronted with pain will we'll take away any distractions and we will be focused directly on that part of the body that's hurting. So at least we're paying attention to it. At least we're bringing awareness into it. When some of us do quite the opposite and we get comfortable with pain, it's really something that's almost like unnatural, isn't it, Sammy? It feels unnatural to me. Although when we talk about spirituality, it's actually embracing pain is a good thing, but not in the sense of ignoring pain, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's uh, like you said in the beginning, watching it almost like a witness, staying present for it rather than, like you said, ignoring it or trying to get to that superhuman you know, place where we don't have to feel it anymore. And my last open question, way too many today, is the worst habits that you can think of, what would they be? I think the worst habit that we could ever have is to not question our impulses and our comp- like compulsions and our belief systems. If we just become lazy about that spiritual growth and that personal growth and say, ah, I don't want to understand why I'm doing this. I just want to take a pill or I don't want to understand. I just want to achieve more. Or, I'll just work harder at work. Right. Instead of un- understanding why are there problems with my relationship with my wife, for example, or my children, or why are my children, you know, doing these things when I'm trying to, you know, raise them a certain way. We become very complacent about not asking those questions. And I think that is the, the worst habit of all, because as long as we're at least questioning ourselves and trying to get to the bottom of things, we'll find a way. But if we don't do that, then all bad habits just kind of stick around. The blog post that you have written is titled, Turns Out Bad Habits Are Actually Protecting You. It -hmm. was like a big surprise when I read that. (laughs) How come? (laughs) So the first question is, what inspired you to write this piece, Sammy? Well, it's part of the whole um, goal of making people be present with what's here now. And I think one of the biggest things we push away is, is bad habits because we're afraid of judgment. So I believe that doesn't help us get to the bottom of what our basic needs are. So if, um, let's say, a husband is cheating on his wife, I'll I'll just use that example. Um, They're just like, I just want to stop cheating on my wife. I think she's amazing and I just want to stop. So I'm just going to, you know, lock my Internet or I'm just like, you know, not going to have a car because that's one of the ways that I go and see other women. Yes, those are good bandages and we should be doing them if nothing else. But a deeper question to ask is, what do I get out of this, right? What is it giving me? It has to be giving me something good because I'm not crazy to go towards something or move towards something that has absolutely no benefit. There is some benefit just because I don't see it now doesn't mean it's not there. And then when we start to really question ourselves and say, wow, maybe Maybe being with other women is a form of validation for me. Maybe validation is a really important need for me and I don't get that enough in my life. Okay, now that we know that, now we can find healthier ways to deal with it. And also we can you know, use that opportunity to reprogram things. Maybe as much validation is not important as we think. That could be a key belief that we need to change and look into it and be like, why do we need validation? What does validation bring you? Well, it makes me feel happy. It makes me feel important. Well, don't you believe that you're inherently important? So we could kind of get to the bottom of where that belief is coming from. But then at the end of the day, if they're like, well, I still like the feeling of being validated. It brings me joy for no other reason. I just feel good and more connected. Okay, well, then connection is a basic need for you, more so than validation, more so than cheating. So how can we get more of that validation for you? Well, what if you 
dug more into your hobbies? What if you communicated more with your partner? Well, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if we never questioned it in the first place. Well, I love those examples too that you gave because it kind of creates this picture of what the habit is and how to navigate our way on understanding the habit to then replace it. I love that. And you have done this with other pieces, like, um, for example, some other bad habits. People who procrastinate is another one. So talk to me about procrastination for a moment, because this is probably affects most of us, hopefully not the cheating on our partners. <laughs> That's not a <laughs> common one, but I know that procrastinating it is. So talk mm-hmm. to me for a moment about that, Sammy. <laughs> um, so uh, people that procrastinate sometimes are looking for a bigger challenge than they currently have. So just waking up at a certain time every single day and then, you know, getting to your car by, by a certain time being able to predict the traffic and get to work, a lot of times people that are very analytical and and love to solve problems, that's not presenting enough of a challenge for them. So they intentionally make themselves a little late. So they will be presented with a bigger challenge, Uh, navigating traffic, having to hurry, making a very creative excuse for our bosses or making a very creative excuse for the person whose wedding we're late for, and then seeing if we can get their forgiveness. That's more thrilling to some people than just arriving there on time and just doing everything how they're supposed to. So that would tell me two things. One, they like a bigger challenge and they're not being challenged enough. So we need to find more things that challenge them in a more healthy way, that help them solve problems in a more healthy way. But another thing that could be going on, and this is for procrastination, but it's also for people that are are chronically late to events, is that they have a harder time stopping what they're doing because they're really in the moment and they're really enjoying what they're doing. And the idea of doing something new is is pulling them out of that flow state. So for instance, if you are interviewing me and you're having a great time and you're like, wow, I'm learning so much and I'm connecting so much with Sammy and you know, I love this interview. If you're late, let's say for the next interview, that's because you were really enjoying this and you really found value in it and you wanted to continue. Yeah, so, it is the case. <laughs> for sure, my case. <laughs> yes, but if we just label someone as a procrastinator or just say, oh, this person's just chronically late, then we're not digging into what the reasons are behind it, how it's protecting us or helping us or bringing us pleasure in some way, then we've discarded an entire mechanism of ourselves and we've abandoned a really big need that was very important. It's almost like self-love, self-compassion, isn't it, Sammy? That's what comes to me, is this being kind to oneself and and to others. If I can understand you too, when I kind of discover that you have these so-called bad habits. It's such Mm -hmm. a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful way of connecting really with other human beings. Of course, it's coming from a place of already being connected with ourselves because we can't Mm -hmm. really do that if we are not connected. So I really appreciate your understanding and kindness and the way you come from, the way you speak to me. A lot of times I have interviewed you many times. I'm not sure how many times I was late, but this is something that often happens. And in my case, it is exactly that. I love being in the moment. And Mm -hmm. I have a hard time accepting the constructed idea of time. And I feel a lot more natural when I let the body and the mind just be ready for whatever it is when they are ready. So it's not Mm -hmm. that I want the body and the mind to be, to rush to be ready for whatever it is uh, that I, I needed to attend to. But I wanted the body and the mind to be ready to attend the event. So that doesn't really work a lot of times. I mean, it has worked for me, but I know for most people, it wouldn't work. I have been fired, I think, two or three times when mm-hmm. I worked for other people because of it. So it's not something that we recommend, right? <laughs> uh, no. But <laughs> understanding and self-compassion, again, can defocus us from the problem 
and move us towards a solution. For instance, let's say you've got fired from a job before and you thought, oh, well, it's because I'm late. I'm just bad. I'm always late. Then you're feeding into a negative identity that the brain, the ego will latch onto. So it won't really help you change. But if on the other hand, you were like, why am I late? Is it because this job is not very fulfilling? And at least when I'm at home, I'm more connected with myself and my body. Okay. My need is to go to a job that I'm more connected with, and it will lead you to, for example, what you're doing today. If we dig deeper and investigate, we can find much healthier alternatives that not only break the bad habit, but also meet a much deeper need. So true. A trillion times to that, because it resonates true to me. I was not happy doing what I was doing before, right? So it was almost like a giving to be late because I was dragging myself to the work. And, but I'm still late these days, and that's something that I try to understand the why. And then now I know that's because I'm very slow. The truth is I do everything very slow. There is something about pausing. I pause a lot when I do things. So I think that doesn't help when it comes to being on time. I think your need to understand things is perhaps one of the reasons why you want to move. You might want to move slower and pause because I believe that you, uh, you know, um, and some other people that I know are very connected to what's the deeper meaning behind this? What's the purpose behind this? What is this trying to tell me? And you're just um, sort of you don't want a moment to just pass you by without you really fully nurturing that moment. And I believe because you do things more purposefully, obviously you're not skimming the surface. It is going to take more time, mm. right, for you to, to, to do that. Yes, that's exactly it. Right, right. I tend to put a lot of energy in whatever I'm doing. And it's almost there's a, it, it's, it feels really freeing and it makes me happy to be to kind of focus, to put my energy 100% in whatever it is that I'm doing. Uh, I know that the things I do, I tend to do, affects other people. And then, you know, a lot of people like it and all that, those things. But that comes after. The first deeper meaning is that, that I am connected with this moment and it feels really good. Yes. And I think I might um, also know another reason why this is happening with you particularly. is Because when you're doing something, you're putting a lot of energy into it and then when you think about doing something new or you're like, oh, it's time to go do this other thing, your brain is saying, well, I don't know, Valeria, because you put so much energy into what you're doing. I want to preserve your energy and this new project, even if it is going to, you know, the gym or if it's just going to visit a friend, that sounds like a lot of energy. And I just don't know because you put too much energy into things. So I'm going to protect uh, you by not letting you start this new thing mm, in its own way, you know, trying to protect you. I love the way you see you explain these things because, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So it's spending a lot of energy. In whatever I'm doing, it's kind of, um, yeah. So that's biology, right, Sammy? Really, the yes, body is it's coming Pure in. biology and survival. Wow. How fascinating. I love it all. <laughs> I would still try to, um, ah, to be, not, sometimes I'm not late, you know? Like, now I'll be for the next one. But a lot of times... Um, I really am here like five minutes after something like that. But I'm really trying, though. Sometimes I am, I'm, you know, I'm on time, but it's sometimes. <laughs> it's not often. I think most of my guests would say that. What well, is one thing about her? <laughs> Hopefully they were not going to say that first. <laughs> but <laughs> another habit, bad habit that you mentioned was the people who bite their nails. So talk to me for a moment about that. That's an interesting one that I've never thought about. Yes, uh, sometimes nail biting or fidgeting is someone's way of of uh, stopping very intense thoughts. Um, that could be one of the reasons. So for instance, if a child is overwhelmed and doesn't know what to do in that situation and they just need control because they feel like everyone else in the situation has control, but me, they want to do something that's purely for them, for example. So they reach for the closest thing. Right. A lot of times adults will will reach for food, for comfort, for certainty. But, you know, a, a kid in elementary school might reach for their nails because that might be a way to self-soothe. 
and gay people. So the benefits of that, which kind of surprised me, is that they tend to have fewer allergies or sensitivities. Yes. Fascinating. (laughs) Yes, because they're exposing themselves to, you know, a small quantity of different types of germs. So that's also like the body's way to to overcome allergies, to constantly expose them to to different germs. Yeah, which makes sense too, right? One way to kind of become, to strengthen the immune system is to expose ourselves to certain things. And I often do that too. It has been working really good. I mean, just walking in nature barefoot, you know, you know, like not really caring for where I step. Mm-hmm. That kind of helps a lot. That's interesting. I do that often. I think we have talked about the ways to deprogram habits, the ones that no longer serves us and uh, and let let go of them. You mentioned uh, many ways of doing that in that piece that you have written in today too, in this conversation earlier, you talked about some of them. Let me just make sure that we talked about all of these ways to deprogram our bad habits. One of them was to look for the belief that underlies the bad habit, which is understanding, going deeper into it that you have talked about. And the second one, if that doesn't work, then we can try a different approach. That would be, you mentioned the um, people who cheat on their partners. So they're looking deeper and working on their self-esteem, kind of becoming more secure within themselves. And replacing the bad habit. And you actually mentioned new hobbies, like working out, um, dressing differently. You talked about using positive reinforcement to create a new good habit. Oh, yeah, to replace a, a new one that you talked about. And then changing your environment to make it easier. So making change around our environment, right, Sammy? That's a good one, too. And that's a known one. Yes. So we can um, get rid of clutter, for example, so that we're not distracted by too many things. We can put our phones in different in a different room or we can play put our video games, for example, in the car. So we'd have to go down and get it. I teach this a lot with smokers is leave your your cigarettes in the car. So when you're home, you actually have to go down to the garage to go get them. So changing the environment can really have a big impact because as human beings, we're also very connected to our environments because we rely so much on our environment for survival. So changing the environment does change our internal state to a certain degree. So in a way, making it more challenging, right, to find the things that will feed the bad habit. I like that. I'm not having it all. That also goes for people with, um, I think they call food disorders, like eating disorders, not having (laughs) the kinds of foods that would feed the habit of eating too much or eating unhealthy. And then you also mentioned trying to find a support group or somebody who has been through the same problems that will challenges that we have been or that we are going through. That helps a lot. I agree. And then also use uh, visualization. That's another one. That's a great one. See yourself as you want to be without the bad habit. I love this one for some reason, without deluding ourselves, right, Sammy? Yes, and that's where hypnotherapy and some forms of visualization and imagery can be really helpful. Because if you can visualize yourself without the bad habit, then you kind of gain that certainty for your mind. You're kind of showing your mind, your childlike mind that, hey, this is what you would be doing if you weren't doing this. So, for example, if you weren't smoking, um, you know, then you if you're stressed out, you'd go outside for fresh air or you would chew on ice or you would drink like iced tea or something very relaxing. Right. So you actually show yourself what your life will be like without the without the bad habit. And that kind of gives you that certainty that you need to create change. Oh, hypnotherapy also does that, right, Sammy? I didn't know. We are able to actually see ourselves in a new way. I love that. It's almost like a a preview of a movie, (laughs) a new movie, a new story. (laughs) Yes, and as you know, previews, they do exactly what? They create interest in something that's coming. So the same way when we visualize, we're creating, generating interest in this new identity that we're going to have. Yeah, what a wonderful healing method or even something to try on. I have a guest who often says, you know, this is a new, it's like a new clothes. Just try it on and see how it looks, how it feels. I love the try on kind of idea too. So thank you so much again, Sammy, for this another beautiful conversation of uh, moments of 
connection, heart connection, and also this passion to share knowledge and healing wisdom. It's really something that is very precious to me, as I said to you off record. Thank you so much again for being always next to me in this way. (laughs) Yes, I enjoy it very much. So thank you for creating the space for it. And my last question, let me ask you this one. I have um, one last question and then a technical one. If there is one message you wish all listeners who have been in contact with this episode to take with them from this conversation today, what would that be? My message would be don't ignore your bad habits. Really try to find out what it is that they're trying to help you with, because in doing so, you'll discover another part of yourself that you will tap into and you will have so much more joy because it's probably a part of yourself that you have at some point or another abandoned. And the bad habit is maybe protecting you from seeing that part of yourself. But that part of yourself is not all bad. It also has a lot of good sides that you'll be able to to tap into. So definitely look at your bad habits as a way of self-discovery. Mm, wow, beautiful message. Yes, a trillion times to that courage. <laughs> Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your services, products, and future projects, Sammy? So you can find me at www.dontwaittolive.com. The link to your website will be on your podcast profile too. Thank you again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Sammy. Thank you, Valeria. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Saman Nasir and her work, please visit don'twaittolive.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.